I've got some news that I want to share with you this morning from the Word of God that if you are not convinced or convicted that we are living on the edge of the edge of the rapture of the church, I promise you, not by what Randy says, but by what I am about to show you from Scripture, will not only convince you, you will get out of here convicted saying, Come on, Lord Jesus. Folks, Jesus is coming. And he's coming to take his bride. Two weeks ago, I talked to you about the beginning of the birth pains. The beginning of the sorrows. Those four things in Matthew 24, the first eight verses, and in particular, verses 4 through 8, that Jesus told his disciples would be the beginning pains of the birth pains. In other words, the beginning sorrows of the time. It would be different from all the rest, and it would be clearly marked in society, and you would know it. And those signs were worldwide deception. You remember that? international conflicts and world war between two nations and increased natural disasters. That's not the end of time. That is the beginning of the end. That is the beginning of those sorrows. But this morning, I want to take you back with me to the year 605 B.C. Judah has been invaded by Babylonia. The people of Judah, including Daniel, were taken captive for the first time. And Daniel the prophet was about 15 or 16 years old at the time. The Bible is very specific about years. And I believe those years must be taken literally. In the book of Jeremiah, chapter 25, verses 11 through 13, the Word of God is very specific as to how long the people of God, that is the Jews, would be in Babylonian captivity. And that specific was 70 years, according to Daniel 9, verse 1 and following as well. So you have two references, Jeremiah 25, verses 11 and following, and then in our Daniel chapter 9. But previously, in Isaiah chapter 44, verses 21 and 28, Isaiah even foretold the name of the king who would conquer Babylon and return the Jews out of captivity for that last time, and his name was Cyrus. In 539 B.C., Cyrus, king of Persia, and Darius, king of the Medes, conquered Babylonia. And guess what? The people of Judah had now been in captivity for how many years? You guessed it, 70 years. Daniel is now a young guy. He's 82 to 90 years old. And he goes before the Lord in prayer for his people in the beginning of chapter 9. That is, goes to the Lord in prayer for the Jews. And God gives to Daniel his incredible plan for the future of mankind on this earth. And at the end of that prayer and through vision, God commands Gabriel to show Daniel the, the eschatological plan, the end-time plan, and the role Israel would play in that plan. And it's to God's answer to Daniel's prayer 
whereby we see the context of the Scripture this morning found in Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 through 27. I hope you have your Bibles open. And I want to read these verses to you in the New King James Translation. And listen to what it says. Seventy weeks, this is verse 24 of Daniel 9. Seventy weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city. This is Gabriel speaking. This is a vision. This is Daniel's answer to Daniel's prayer. God's answer to Daniel's prayer. So what's going to happen at those 70 weeks? Why are they there? To finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, and to seal up the vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Wow. Entire future history. Verse 25, know therefore and understand that. Now, Daniel, Gabriel is going to get very specific, and I want you to listen. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until the Messiah, the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and sixty-two weeks. The street shall be built again and even the wall, talking about the holy city, Jerusalem, even in troubled some times. Now verse 26. And after 62 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end of it shall be with the flood till the end of the war. Desolations are determined. Then he shall confirm, he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. But in the middle of that week, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering, and on the wing of abominations shall be one who makes desolate, even until the consummation which is determined is poured out on the desolate. Now, don't be marred in with all the words. Understand and let the Word of God speak for itself. The Word of God, God has always dealt in numbers. There were six days of creation, and He rested on the seventh. The rains persisted on the earth for the flood. How long did it rain? You remember? Forty days and forty nights. The children of Israel wandered in the wilderness. How long? Forty years. There were ten commandments. Seven is the perfect number in the Bible. Jesus was in the wilderness of Judea for forty days just prior to his temptation and his encounter with the devil. The millennial reign of Jesus Christ on this earth, by fact of it being a millennial reign, is exactly what it says. One thousand years. So you can see my point. Numbers are to be understood literally. Now, God has sent Gabriel to Daniel in his dream to share with him God's plan for the future. And I want to tell you that plan is specific. Now, I want to ask you something. Why would we interpret all the other numbers and timed events throughout the Word of God as literal and not understand as literal what Gabriel is saying to Daniel in literal years. 
Well, this morning, I want to show you through what Gabriel said to Daniel over 2,600 years ago is God's timeline for the eschatological future of mankind. And based on my research, my study, and personal prayer, I am more convinced than ever you and I are sitting on the edge of the edge of Jesus coming back and taking his church, the bride, the rapture. And so, folks, I want you to listen very closely to me this morning. I want you to take notes. If you've never done it before, I want you to fill in these blanks because when you get out of here, people are going to ask you questions. And I don't want you to tell them what Randy Cheek said. I want you to tell them what the Word of God said. By way of introduction, there were three time periods mentioned by Gabriel to Daniel. Daniel. And I want us, as we introduce, to make sure we understand these verses, and in particular in your outline this morning. Now, I don't have the Hebrew printed for you on the screen because we didn't have that font for upstairs, but I have the rest of it printed for you. But in that first part on your outline, I've written two Hebrew words just above, right before the 77 heptads you see on the screen. And those Hebrew words are read from right to left, and it says, Shabuah Shabbat, literally 77s. 70, and translate that last word, is heptad, heptad. What is a heptad? A heptad is seven, a group of seven, in particular here, seven years, literally. So that's why it's literally saying 77. The way it's written in the Hebrew does not mean the number 77. It means the number 70 weeks. No, literally the translation is weeks of years. So literally 77 heptads, 70 heptads, 70 groups of seven years. So if you take that number for me, And we understand, and it's literally those translation there, it's 77-year periods. Everybody with me so far? A heptad is one seven-year group. So if you multiply 70 times that one seven-year, one heptad, how many years is that? 70 times 7 is 490 years. Write that in your blank. Now, Gabriel is very specific. He says to Daniel, the time span of when this will begin will be the decree to rebuild Jerusalem and the temple. And how when it it begins, there will be 490 year time span to rebuild Jerusalem through the time, literally the 490 years includes until the end of time, literally through the time of Jerusalem tribulation. So it's important that you understand that 77, the way it's set up in Hebrew, Shabu HaShabbat, literally, is one heptad. Heptad is one seven-year group. 
And the literal translation there is exactly what it says. Seventy-seven year periods, a total of 490 years. And the Bible says into Daniel, Gabriel says to Daniel, that God says it'll be 490 years through the end of time. Now, obviously, we've gone a lot more than 490 years. But you hold on to your seat. I'm fixing to show you something that's going to blow you out of your seat. And I'll show you exactly why I am convinced through the Word of God my children, and in particular their children, will not see death. Everybody understand the first point. That's where we've got to be sure we're all in agreement. Well, then the Bible says in verse 25, there is a second, there is a second point, and I've divided this into three time periods. So time period one. The Bible says it is one period of those seven heptads, literally, or seven seven-year periods. So you multiply seven times seven is what? Forty-nine. Look at verse 24 with me. Have your Bible open. Seventy weeks are determined for your people for your people to, and for your holy city. And here's what's going to happen. We've already seen that, literally. Jump down to verse 25. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to rebuild and restore Jerusalem until the Messiah, the Prince, there shall be seven weeks. So the first part, in other words, how long is it going to take to rebuild the temple and rebuild Jerusalem? Forty-nine years. Well, where does it begin at? Literally, the complete rebuilding of the temple was to be approximately 49 years. And when Daniel heard the explanation of this period in history, his heart was about to leap for joy because God was revealing that the Jews would now be set free from Babylonian captivity. They would to return home to rebuild their nation and their beloved capital, Jerusalem. And there were actually three decrees issued. And looking at God's Word, following study and prayer, I am convinced it's this final decree from Cyrus as one that our Lord is referring to right here in verse 25. The previous two decrees, one was by Cyrus in 538, another one which focused mainly on the rebuilding of the temple and not the entire city of Jerusalem. The second degree was by Artaxerxes I, and it was given to Ezra in 458 B.C., which focused on Ezra returning to Jerusalem and making sure the people were obeying the law of God. However, in 444 B.C., King Artaxerxes issued a third degree to Nehemiah. And this degree centered on the rebuilding of Jerusalem beginning with the walls of the city. And if you go back in history and you look at the Word of God and you do the research, there's a lot more I could share with you. It would take hours to do that. You're going to have to trust me here in my study. The date literally for that decree, that third decree, was March the 5th, 444 B.C. We know when Artaxerxes reigned. We know the date of this decree. And the Bible says, Gabriel says to Daniel, this 490 years will begin with that date right there that's on the screen, March the 5th, 444 B.C. You can go back to Nehemiah chapter 2, and you can read that without question. That's the first time period. Now I want to show you the second time period. 
It said seven sevens. And then it said right after that in verse 25, as you'll go back and look with me, that from the going forth there until the Messiah, the second part of verse 25, there shall be seven weeks and 62 heptads, literally. So you multiply 62 times 7, and what's the number you come up with? 434 years. The Bible says that after 434 years, literal years, the Messiah would be cut off. Tell me a time when Jesus Christ was cut off. Cut off means to die, means to be gone. When was there a time that Jesus died? Hello? On the what? On the cross. The Bible is saying literally that those there will be 434 years plus this first heptad of 49, literally, that the Messiah would be cut off. Now you're going to have to trust me on this third point, number C. If you look back in Scripture and you look at the difference between the Gregorian calendar and our calendar today and the differences of the Hebrew and all this together, you will have to conclude that a biblical year was 360 days. Write that in your blank. Now, when people ask you about that, you'll have to come back to me, and I'll be glad to sit down and show you the scriptural references that literally say the biblical year is 360 days. And, folks, I'm not just bumping my gums up here with a bunch of numbers. This is what the book says. This is the Bible. So let's add now. Let's add those 434 years that we got. Let's add it to the 7 or the 49, okay, that we've got. So if we add 434 and 49, we come up with how many days? Help me out. 300, literally, how many days? 483. How many years did we start with? It should be 483 years. That's a misprint on my part. 483 years. How many heptads? We started with 70 heptads, right? 77. A total of how many years? Go back up there to number one. 490. There are 483. We are missing seven. All right, so let's look at point E now. Let's take 483. 483 literally years at 360 days per year equals and i'll give you that one folks 173,880 now watch this hold on to your seat if you take the date of artaxerxes decree to rebuild jerusalem and the temple to nehemiah and you add to that 173,880. Guess what date you have? March the 5th, A.D. 33. What year do we believe Jesus was crucified? Four hundred and eighty-three years to the exact time of the death of Christ on the cross. From the time of the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem by Nehemiah to literally the time of the rebuilding of the temple 
was 173,880 days. And the Bible says 173,880 days later, the Messiah will be cut off, will be destroyed, will be crucified. March the 5th, A.D. 33. Wow. I want to show you a third time period. Watch this. This to me becomes, I mean, it, it, it does, I mean, you understand, it's right in front of you, literally, by the word of God. The time period here and the last one, I want to show you something. Look back down with me. It really, it's verse 26. I made another misprint. should be 26. And after 62 weeks, the Messiah shall be cut off, and not for himself. Jesus won't be cut off for himself. Who did Jesus die for? Us. Me and you. You see how specific Gabriel is? And the people of the prince who is to come. Folks, if you look at the word prince in the Greek language and you compare it to the Greek word for dragon or in particular for the Antichrist in Revelation, you have the same one. That is a clear reference to the Antichrist. The Bible says the Antichrist will rise to power after the Messiah comes back to rapture his church. There will be a covenant, literally it says, and I'll show you that, literally. So what it says, we have the last period left of a one heptad. How many is one heptad? What was it? Seven years. We have fulfilled. I have shown you scripturally where 483 years of those were fulfilled until the death of Christ. There is one seven-year heptad, one heptad left, and it is encompassing seven years. Do you remember when the earth became dark from 12 noon until 3 in the afternoon at the cruise death of Christ? I believe, now listen closely, I believe, based on the Word of God, and I am convinced, and a whole lot of folks, other folks are convinced, that at that three hours of darkness, when God literally veiled himself from the cross because of sin, God can't look on sin, folks. And when God veiled himself from the cross, God's eschatological time clock, end time time clock, stopped at that moment. And ladies and gentlemen, it has been over 2,000 years. Two weeks ago in Matthew 24, the Bible told us, God told us the beginnings of the birth pains. Pick up the newspaper. Look at the 5, 6, 11, 8, whatever clock news you want to look at. Watch what's going. It don't take much understanding to figure out Jesus Christ, God is right, ladies and gentlemen. We are in the beginnings of the birth pains, to say the least. The beginnings of the sorrows. No, we're not living in the tribulation. We're still here. But the very next thing on the time clock of God is the rapture of the church. What is that last seven years? Only one heptad left. The last of those seven years, D, that are yet to be fulfilled, is the tribulation. And how long is the tribulation, folks? Do you remember? Seven years. There's the last heptad. 
we are living at the end of 483 years that have already been fulfilled. God has already told us we are in the birth pains, the beginning signs of the end times, to say the least. And we are living on the edge of the edge for the next very thing to take place is the rapture of the church. There is no sign in the Word of God about the rapture of the church. The Bible says the rapture is going to come like a thief in the night. Folks, it's just going to happen in the twinkling of an eye. I'm going to disappear. My clothes are going to be left. And according to First Thessalonians 4, and I'll share that with you next week. And if you leave here without shouting next week, I don't know how to get a Baptist to shout any greater than talk about the rapture. But folks, that's where we are. I'm not reading you some fiction. I'm not reading you the Left Behind series. I'm telling you the Word of God. And the Word of God has put that literally in years. 483 are done. Only seven are left. Amen? Now, i got a question for you. And I'll hush. Probably shortest sermon you'll ever hear me preach. i got a question on the screen I want you to look at with me. Would you read that? Read it with me. Would you be left behind should the rapture of the church take place today? And who says it can't? Folks, I'm telling you, for the, for, the, for the believer, this ought to be shouting ground for us. Maranatha, literally the Greek, even so come quickly, Lord Jesus. Just come on. People say, I'm not getting up. I am. We ready to go. I'm ready. This world's in a mess. I'm ready for Jesus to return. And I'm glad, and you're glad we're all not Jesus. We'd probably make a mess of things if we took the rapture at the wrong time. He knows when he's coming. God knows, not even Jesus. But folks, I am convinced. I am convinced the hand of God is reaching up to the shoulder of Jesus. And when the time comes, when the Father hits the Son like this, it's time. Hell will shake. This world will shake. It shook at his death. And then all of a sudden, ladies and gentlemen, I'm not going to get into next week's sermon, but I'm going to tell you something. The Bible says Jesus will come, a believer event. And the Bible says we'll be changed in the twinkling of an eye. One will be left, the other will be taken. Now I want to say something to you. The only way you will be taken is that if you have trusted Jesus Christ personally for your sin, and you have asked him to forgive you of your sin intentionally, you are not trusting walking down an aisle, you are not trusting shaking a preacher's hand, you are not trusting some transcendental meditation or meditation moment, you are trusting the fact that you said, Lord, I'm a sinner, and I'm in need of a Savior of this universe, and I have no right to come to you other than the blood of Jesus. And I ask you right now to come into my heart and save me. As a nine-year-old boy in vacation Bible school at this church, that's what happened to me. And the Lord Jesus came into my life. I've given him a run for his money for the last 50-plus years, let me tell you. And all of you have too as well. But God's like the hound of heaven. He keeps just running after me. And he's never left me, folks. He's never forgotten me, and he never will. And when the rapture comes, just move my clothes. I'm gone. I'm gone. And the majority, the majority of Christians 
say this. Do you know for sure that you are saved? And if the rapture came today, would you go up to meet with Jesus in the air? And do you know what the answer to that question I get? Every, almost every time. Outside the church and inside the church. I hope so. Folks, I don't hope. I've gotten past the hope part of it. I know. <laughs> God's already told me that. You will be with me in paradise. I'm going to prepare a place for you, and I'm going to come back and get you and take you home to be with me. I don't just hope so, bless God. I know where I'm going. And I want to ask you, church, do you know that? We could not show back up here tonight, or many of us couldn't. Because we'd be in glory. You know that could happen. And yet we live as though we're going to live forever. I have just shown you as best I know. And I hope in God's name, literally, I hope I have made this clear so that a child can see. 490 years from the beginning of the decree to rebuild Jerusalem and the wall, we have seen 483 of those years, literal years completed at the death of Christ. Literally, the eschatological clock of Christ stopped at 483 years. When will it crank back up? The minute the rapture comes. And God, Gabriel told Daniel that 26 hundred years ago and it was literal don't you think it'll be literal now of course it will and yet we're living in this world as though we've got all the time in the world to tell these children out here about jesus to tell these single parents about jesus to tell everybody about jesus we are living in our spoiled southern Baptist world excuse me dr ed stetzer this past week said if we continue in the same vein as Southern Baptists for the next 30 years, like we're doing right now, over 30 to 40% of our churches will be gone. I'm not talking about by the rapture. I'm talking about four sale signs put up on the outside. It's time we get serious, folks. It's time we preach. You know, Jesus is coming, and we get ready. It's time we get on our face before God and say, God, I have acted like a fool. You know what the definition of, I have two folks. The word fool in the Old New Testament means one who acts like there is no God. How many times have we acted like there is no God? Man, we ought to fall on our face and say, God, I am so sorry. I am so sorry for not taking your word literally as your word. Forgive me for not listening to you. Wake me up, Lord Jesus. Help me realize that should the rapture happen today, I hope you can say with confidence, just like your pastor, I'll be with Jesus. But if you can't, now is the time to get it settled. And what do you have to do? Just ask. When I ask folks, where is Jesus? When you've invited him into your heart, a little child says he's right here. And I'll ask them why. And you know what their answer is to me? Because I asked him. Have you come to the time and place in your life where you know for certain that you have asked, I mean ask, invited Jesus Christ into your heart? You just didn't get emotional when you sang a song. You just didn't cry your heart out and think you're saved. You intentionally ask Jesus to come in your life. If you have and you know that, I'm not asking for a day, date, place, or time. I just want you to be at peace to know that. If you do, praise God, we're going together. I'll meet you in the clouds. 
But if there is a doubt in your mind, now listen, and I'm sharing this with you as your preacher, as your pastor. If there is a doubt in your mind, look back, make sure the chances, the chances could be that you're trusting an emotion, a walking down an aisle, or anything else, but not the blood of Jesus that cleanses us from all sin. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you for allowing me to preach your word. And once again, through study, Father, I believe as best I know how, and as human as I've tried to do this in your authority without question, and Lord, what authority has been your authority? It's not been mine. But Father, I have put out to the people what I believe is your message for all of us in this house. And if truth be known, every one of us in here, Lord Jesus, we're one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. None of us are, are, are perfect the way we should be or strive for perfection. And Lord Jesus, as, as we hear in the stats so much that so many in this world are trusting another experience but not the experience of the blood of Jesus. And I pray that for this group in this room and under the sound of my voice that are listening to this by way of tape or CD or however, that Lord Jesus, they would hear and know without a doubt the day's a day of salvation. They'd get it settled because this could be the day. This could be the day. For we show up in the skies with you. You come and take your church out. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. But, Father, I pray today this front of this sanctuary would become the altar of God. It cease being steps and carpet in a building. It'd become the altar of God. And we'd pray and we'd come and pray for friends and family that don't know you. We'd come and pray for ourselves. We'd come and do business with you, Father, just like an old-fashioned altar like we've never done before. And we'd get on our face with, before you like never before, perhaps from where we're sitting, perhaps walking down this aisle. But, Lord, you just take this thing. You take this entire service. It has been yours from its inception and its beginning today. And, Father, your will be done in these closing moments of this worship service. I love you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for the honor and the highest privilege and the greatest spiritual responsibility in the world to stand before these people and to preach your word. Thank you for allowing me to be true and faithful to your word. And Lord, thank you for the honor you give not to me, but through the power of your word that goes out as we preach it. You told us that not one, nothing would return. Your word would never return as nothing to us. And Father, may it be so this morning. I pray this in the powerful and wonderful name of Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. Let others see Jesus in you, folks, this week. You go out of here this morning with a renewed commitment to serve the Lord. And we don't have all the time in the world. Take advantage of every opportunity you have to tell about Jesus. But before we do that, let's make sure we do business with God. All of us in this house, either where you're sitting, either on these steps, either kneeling, whatever, you come. If you need to talk to me or Matthew, we'll be up here. If you need to join Olive Springs Baptist, I want you to come. But the mostly, I just want us to pour, get on our face before God. And many of us saying, God, I'm sorry.
I'm sorry not taking your word for what it says. I realize what our pastors shared, and I realize the power of what that word says. we got to get to the business of sharing Christ right here in this community. We made a decision in 2004 to stay right here, and God's put a mission field in front of us. And folks, we may have only hours left. We may have years. I don't know. Only God knows. But the most important thing is, let's make sure we're ready. Would you do that this morning? Stand with me right where you are. Karen is going to lead us. You be first. Let's all come together.